Super Talk Mississippi media production. Fordofcorinth.com is having a 2023 inventory blowout sale. Check out all of last year's models in the lot, which must be moved. Bring your enthusiasm and your down payment. Let our team of finance professionals remove the test so you can just drive off our lot. Fordofcorinth.com. What is up on a Monday? Thank you for hanging out with us. I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, Colin Brister, is with me. And what a weekend it was in Oxford through really just kind of apocalyptic conditions. It didn't stop raining for five days. You had potholes popping up everywhere. You had a boiled water notice and a broken pipe. You had, of course, the the protesting and all that that we'll get into a little bit. You had a basketball game. And then, of course, the baseball team took took two of three in Louisiana so pretty pretty insane weekend honestly the 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 town felt a little honestly you, you could kind of feel like like it was there was tension on Saturday and it just like people didn't know how things were gonna go as far as the day and the weather and everything else and it just I guess it's, it feels like a sense of relief to get through it all don't you think yeah it felt like uh you were just waiting for Sunday considering you know how how crazy Saturday was with everything that went on, and yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting weekend in Oxford, to put it lightly. Yeah, and so it, it, I guess we'll get started with 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 basketball. It was I I, re, I got there and it was obviously the national anthem happens, and then you know eight players ended up kneeling. It started with Devonte Schuler, um, Brian Hallams, Bruce Stevens. Um, Luis Rodriguez, Franco Miller, and one or two others initially started kneeling, and then Brian Tyree, of course, kind of kneels at the end along with with one other guy. So it ends up being eight guys total. That kind of puts an interesting start to the game, but you know, I thought they handled it pretty well after it. I thought they handled it about as well as you could. It was, you know, I'm not going to get into like a political beliefs thing and why you should or should believe in it or whatever but at least it was something tangible they were sending the right message you know that you know these quote-unquote hate groups are not welcome on this campus i i thought they handled it well afterward yeah i mean look the bill Miss administration had no choice they, they're going back those kids and they should back those kids um they, they they like you said we don't we don't want to get into politics here but i mean come on there they were there were white there were hate groups on Ole Miss's campus on Saturday, and those kids didn't feel welcome. I mean, let's just, let's just keep it real. Um, yeah, I, I, I say quote-unquote. I, I, that probably came off wrong. I mean, I didn't know the official name of the groups, but that that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, let's call it what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, those kids felt like the, the, they the, those hate groups on campus made them feel unwelcome on their own campus, which is unacceptable. Um, and and they spoke out about it, and there's nothing wrong with that. The old the Ole Miss kids that took these on Saturday, uh, they they were speaking, they were using their voice to to send a message that those people are not welcome on this campus. They have not been welcome on this campus in a long time. Um, they're not going to be welcome on this campus. Ole Miss has done a lot to distance itself from what those people are preaching and those antiquated beliefs. And um, yeah, I mean it was it was an interesting Saturday with with them taking a knee during the national anthem. Um, I hate that some people can't use context to speed the situation of what those kids were kneeling about. Um, but that's you know that's today's day and age, and, and that's what you're going to get with people that uh, can't be able to use that, that aren't able to use yeah are not able to use nuance and that type of thing. So yeah, I mean it it was uh, it was 
was definitely an interesting Saturday from that perspective. But, yeah, Ole Miss had to back their kids, and they should back their kids because those kids did nothing wrong uh, with speaking out against those hate groups that were on that campus. Well, and that's the thing. Like, whatever you believe about the national anthem and, and, and respecting, disrespecting the flag, however you see that as an appropriate vehicle to use as a protest, doesn't to me it doesn't really matter in this instance because – because the more and more I think about it, it took a lot for those kids to do that, and because and they knew it was coming with backlash, they they wanted to do something. I, I thought it was fairly courageous, but it, the the message they're trying to send is that they're standing up for Ole Miss's campus, and so you know I, I see I saw people afterward, you know, criticizing it, whatever, but. Like, don't dilute – however you may feel about the national anthem and the way they did it and, and what they used to get their message out, don't dilute the message because the message is pure and the message is courageous. And they, you know, they took a stand – and I thought Kermit Davis backed it well. He said, our, our players made an emotional decision that, that, that these groups are not welcome on our campus and they never will be. You know, they took a stand. And I thought they handled it about as well as possible. You know, Bree and Tyree came in there after the game. I don't think it was an accident. They brought him in there. I thought he, you know, he's a well-spoken kid, and 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 he kind of became the, the, I don't know, spokesperson, face of the team, whatever you want to call it. He did in that moment, and he handled himself really well. I thought he was well-spoken. I thought what he said was, was profound. I I thought they handled it after the game about as well as you possibly could have. Yeah, I mean, look, um, there's nothing that Ole Miss can do to um, stop the people that were on that campus on Saturday from coming on that campus. It's a public institution, and they have, unfortunately, every right to uh, be able to spew their nonsensical garbage. Um, there's nothing Ole Miss can do. But that doesn't mean that the kids that have a voice on that campus can't speak out in, uh, in the opposition of it. That doesn't mean that they can't use that voice to, to tell those people that, look, uh, Ole Miss is different from 1962. And you're not going to be welcome here. And Ole Miss has moved past that. And you know, for for the and they did a good job of that. Like you said, you can you can disagree with with how they did it. Um, I personally don't. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm fine with exactly what they did. But like you said, don't dilute what they were trying to do and what they accomplished on Saturday. Uh, you know, it was it, it took a lot of courage to do what they do, and they've dealt with backlash. You know, you got people saying that. They should never play another game in an Ole Miss uniform and that type of thing. Well, as nonsensical as that is, you, those kids knew that they were going to have to deal with that when they did what they did. Um, and then that, again, like you said, that took courage and, and, and they sent a message on Saturday that frankly needs to be sent. I mean, uh, like I said, Ole Miss can't do anything about those people wanting to come and protest and, and be on their campus as a public institution. But uh, that doesn't mean that, that people with a voice on Ole Miss campus can't make sure that they know they're not welcome on this on this campus anymore. And that's the thing; it was national news because of what they did. And instead of the message being, "Oh, there was a Confederate rally on Ole Miss's campus," it was the basketball team took a stand against what was going on, you know, on campus, off campus. So it changed the national message and national narrative at a place that really needs that to happen in a good way. And the last thing I'll say on it, and I'm not going to go down the whole Colin Kaepernick route, but the the reason people get upset with the Colin Kaepernick thing is because he doesn't articulate his message well. And, the, you know, there's a reason Colin Kaepernick doesn't do interviews, and it's because he can't articulate his point to the point where he sounds educated without kind of making a fool out of himself. That That's why. That's the reality of it. That's why he doesn't do interviews. You know, that's why you don't see him do TV interviews, things like that. But this wasn't, like... 
this was something tangible and real. And this wasn't a larger, this wasn't about a larger conversation about, you know, Colin Kaepernick's message of police brutality and all that. That absolutely exists. I'm not going to get in that date. My point being, this was a specific thing that was happening on the Ole Miss campus that they didn't like. They didn't like the school represented that way. And they sent a message that they don't like it. I don't think there's any harm in that. And that's, that's about the last I'll say on that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. There was, uh, there was a pinpoint reason for them doing it. Um, if you're not able to see that, if you're not able to move past that, frankly, that's on you. Um, you know, and, and I'll just keep it real. If, if you have more of a problem with, with those kids taking a knee and protest of what was happening on Saturday than you do those people being on campus Saturday and what they were trying to preach, then, then it's probably time for you to look in the mirror. After that, there was a basketball game played. Yeah, and, and it wasn't a good one. No, it was not, but it was one that how it looked doesn't necessarily matter. Right. Um, Ole Miss had to win the game. They they flirted with disaster till the game's final possession, quite literally. I and, thought that shot was going in. Uh, th- that's the sh- that was about as good a possession as the Ole Miss could have had. So Ole Miss beats Georgia 72-71. to They are now a win away from essentially locking up a bid to the NCAA tournament. And Saturday's game was not pretty. It, it was interesting because it was one of those games you knew Ole Miss could not afford to lose. It was a game they had they had to win to kind of keep on this trajectory towards earning an NCAA tournament bid and, and keeping the road, we'll call it, easily realistic. And they coast in the first half to a 10-point lead. I, I believe it was 39-29 at halftime. The Ole Miss didn't play particularly well. They shot it okay. They were they – were, they weren't getting as badly out beaten on the glass as they started to get in the second half, but that you know they kind of snoozed to a ten point lead, and you thought they would just kind of kind of walk to a 12, 13 point win. It seemed kind of like last Saturday's game a workman like effort against Missouri, but Georgia came out of the halftime locker room and, and and issued a punch that that left Ole Miss a little woozy. Really, throughout the entire second half, they were trying to recover from it. Georgia, I think, starts the half on a. 14, 15 to three run and takes a takes a lead. Um, Ole Miss missed, I think, six of their first seven shots coming out of the locker room. Did not have much going for it at all. You know, Georgia leads by as many as five with, I think, just over ten minutes left in the second half. And then that's when you kind of start thinking Ole Miss is really playing with fire here. They they can't afford to lose this game. You know, Ole Miss gets some stops down the stretch. They got a couple key offensive rebounds, and then as has happened so many times this year, their their guards carried them through. Devontae Shuler and, and Brian Tyree in particular made big, big contested jump shots down the stretch. They got to the rim, and and that's that was really the difference in the game, along with DC Davis, which Kermit pointed out after the game. You know, he inserts DC Davis in midway through the second half, and Ole Miss's lead goes from one to eight, and they were able to hold on from there. Yeah, I mean, I'll just be completely honest with you. Uh... You know, when they got out 10 at halftime, I didn't. I, I wasn't at the game on Saturday. I didn't keep up with the first half of the second half because I thought, you know, Ole Miss is going to run them off. Uh, Georgia's not a really good team. Ole Miss beat them by 20 in Athens. And you look up with 12 minutes left, and it's tied. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, Ole Miss doesn't come out of the locker room and play particularly well. Um, and they find themselves in with a minute left. And I don't want to say their season on the line with a ball in the air, but it was it was dicey because if that shot goes in, we're talking about a whole different situation. If if was it Claxton that took the shot? Um, no. It so Claxton was not the one who took the shot. Who took the shot? I'm about to look it up real quick. I know it wasn't Claxton because I was having to write about it. After it was not a good look, but if you look at it on the TV, 
it was online. Well, Ole Miss, Ole Miss went zone in the last possession, and Georgia yeah. knew they were going zone. Tom Crean said it after the game. Kermit said, you know, so many times this year we've gone to the 1-3-1 late. It's worked for us. They got a, a, a double team pretty quickly off the inbounds pass. I'm not sure what Georgia was trying to do on that side out, but they didn't get their first look. So they inbound the ball. Ole Miss gets a double team. The guard fumbles the ball a couple of times. You know, kind of desperately throws it to the to the right corner. Who, um, and then you know the guy puts up a, a contested twenty four footer that it was online and it was short. But if you're going to give another team a look in the final minute of a game, that's 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 as contested as a look as you'd like to give up. I mean, I I thought Ole Miss guarded that possession pretty well. Well, they didn't. You know, you're up one, and they did not allow Georgia to get to the rim and you know get fouled. That's where they wanted um, to go. They wanted to go to Claxton because Cla- Nick Claxton had been torching Ole Miss's bigs, namely Dominique Olenichek, all night in the post. That's where they wanted to go. Ole Miss didn't let them get the ball down there. Yeah, and you know, as crappy as SEC officials are. Tyree uh, Crump took the 24-footer, by the way. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, as, as bad as SEC officials are, if he gets to the rim there, who knows if they're going to call a foul and put him on the line for two shots. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought Ole Miss defended that possession as well as possible. Uh, you know, you probably don't want to be in a position where Georgia can hit a shot and win a game in your building. But it, at this point, it's not a beauty contest anymore. It's, it's get win. And to Ole Miss's credit on Saturday, after being down four in the second half, they won the basketball game. And that's really all that matters. Now, I do wonder, they did not play well at South Carolina. I think objectively you can say they did not play well Saturday. Boy, if they want to have a shot Wednesday, they better play well. They did, yeah. They didn't. They didn't particularly shoot the ball well. They were twenty-eight to sixty-five from the field. Uh, Bree and Tyree led with sixteen. Schuler led with. I mean, Schuler had. Excuse me. Bree and Tyree had seventeen. Schuler had sixteen. Terrence Davis has thirteen. That's you know, kind of what you've seen all year from a box course perspective from the scoring. But like you said, Ole Miss didn't play particularly well. They they got beat up on the glass pretty good. I think the final tally was thirty-six twenty-eight. I think that sounds right. Um, 34-29, excuse me. But Ole Miss gets a couple big offensive rebounds late. They got some stops. Nick Claxton was was a force down low for Georgia, and Ole Miss didn't really have much of an answer for him. But at the end of the day, when you when you look at the box score, you know Claxton had a pretty tame day. I mean, 13 points, 5 of 7 shooting, but he only had 5 rebounds. And I believe all of those... At least, I'm pretty sure all of those were defensive rebounds, if I'm not mistaken. At least four of them were. So, you know, he, he, he tore him up pretty good in the second half, but Ole Miss kind of kept him under control on the glass, which is which is about all you can ask for. And like you said, it's not really a beauty pageant this time of year. Ole Miss escaped with a win it absolutely had to have. There have been twice where it's felt like the team's not season hung in the balance, but their NCAA tournament fate in terms of it being a realistic thing really hung in the balance, and that was the second half of the A&M game where Ole Miss had lost four in a row. They were staring at five in a row straight in the face, and Terrence Davis made it back-to-back steals, and Ole Miss kind of runs away with that game after after trailing in the second half. And this was the other time. It, it, it felt real that, that they were really in some hot water. Yeah, it did. And But, uh, you know, like you said, and, and it's not a beauty contest. Ole Miss is a win away from the tournament at this point. I think I think we both agree that at 10-8, and eight, there's, there's a 0% chance they get left out. Um, if they win Wednesday, you can lock it in. Ole Miss doesn't have to win another game. If they win on Wednesday, uh, winning on Wednesday is going to be tough because Tennessee is probably pissed off. Um, so 
so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting going forward, seeing you know if they can get that win to solidify that NCAA tournament bid. And that's what that's what Kermit said after the game is look, we're just trying. I, I think Brian Tyree, who had a really cool moment with uh, Andy Kennedy, that was that was cool on the SEC Network. AK was in studio. He, I'm, I'm pretty sure he called Devonte Shuler Buki for the first time on national <laughs> television, but. Uh, Bree and Tyree said, we're just trying to stack wins. And at the end of the day, that's what Ole Miss did. It wasn't pretty. They didn't play well in either game last week, as you kind of mentioned earlier. They didn't play well against Missouri. No, and, but it's a one-in-one week. You know, one more of those, and they're, they're in the NCAA tournament without any work you know, left needing to be done in Nashville. And so they avoided disaster. To Georgia's credit, they're, they're not good, but they don't. They haven't quit, and they've had a million reasons to quit. I believe that's 12 straight SEC losses. You know, Tom Crean said after the game he can sense his team getting better, which I actually kind of agree with that. They have gotten better. They just they they don't have good enough guard play late in games to close out games, and because they don't. I mean, it's one thing to out physical teams and beat them on the glass, but you have to have somebody that can handle and take care of the ball late in games, and they just don't. They don't have that right now. It, reinforcements are coming. Crean's probably gutting the roster this offseason. I mean, he, he said as much. He <laughs> he told his players after the first time Wilmers beat him, he's probably gutting the roster. But they are getting better. Um, Tom Crean said he was asked after the game if he thinks Ole Miss is an NCAA tournament team, and and he mentioned you know it seems like the two the two question marks with regards to the SEC that people have are Ole Miss and South Carolina. And he said really with Ole Miss there there's no doubt in my mind you know with those guards you you don't want to see Ole Miss. You know, in the round of 64, you don't want to see him on one day's prep in the round of 32. And he said, I wouldn't even want to see him a week later in the Sweet 16. So, you know, he certainly seems to think Ole Miss is a, is a tournament caliber team. It, it looks like they're headed in that direction, barring, you know, a pretty monumental collapse. So that was really my main takeaway. from. I mean, so much went on Saturday with regards to everything that happened before the game. You know, that it was the result of the game seemingly over. Uh, overrode everything else in terms of how they got to the result. Yeah. I mean, look, it's kind of funny to me because I was talking to a friend uh, that, that roots for uh, Kentucky. If Ole Miss doesn't have their pass, like from a basketball perspective, where they screw up and, and find themselves sweating on Sunday, you're not talking about getting into the tournament with their resume. Like, like that's a that's a foregone conclusion. But the like you deal with the collapse. 2015 and 2013, and it makes you think differently. Because if Ole Miss is like, I don't know, uh, a crate or something like that, their fan base isn't worried about getting into the tournament. They know that they're going to get into the tournament. It's just funny how, how the dynamics of that situation work. Oh, and part of it's the schedule, I think, too. Because if you want to talk about setting up for a slippery slope through the last five games, you have that Georgia game, which you probably should win, but you're playing two teams that are better than you at home and then two inferior opponents on the road. Well, Arkansas has quit. So, I mean, like like they lost to A&M on their home floor on Saturday. They're done. Hey, A&M's, I, I, I don't disagree, but A&M's now won four out of five. They're playing a really, lot better. He's going to need to explain himself. Because why is that team bad? They lost a lot from that Sweet 16 team a year ago. They've had a couple injuries. Man, they're talented. Talented enough. I think they'll be good again next year. When somebody on the show the other day was talking about Billy Kennedy being on the hot seat, I get this year's been rough, but he's been to two Sweet 16s in the last three seasons. I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, probably not. But, I mean, I think I think Anderson and Drew might be the only people going somewhere uh, in the SEC. Is there anybody else? I think Anderson, Drew. 
So we're talking about Bryce Drew at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt yeah. is probably going to run the table in reverse with regards to SEC play 0 and 18. Arkansas has really struggled. They play hard. And they were a decent team with Garland, and I don't think it's an excuse to go 0 and 18 when you lose no, one not. player. Although with the recruiting class Drew has coming in, I think he gets another year because they, they're going to sign a top 10 class this year. 0 and 18 tough, man. Yeah, but. You know, I think they give him a pass to Garland. If, even if they don't think it's justifiable, do you really want to upset the ta- the crop of talent you have coming in? Then if it doesn't work next year, you you it's it's not even a debate. Right. No, that's fair. You know, we talked about Coach of the Year uh, on Tuesday, and we kind of kind I don't want to say disrespected Will Wade, but kind of kind of said you know he wins because of players. He beat Tennessee Saturday without Tremont Waters. I mean that 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 was one of the more impressive things that I saw this weekend. That told me they can beat anyone in the country. Yeah, good luck with that in the tournament. Yeah, I mean we talked about it on on a previous show that you want to talk about a team that can match up with Duke for a single night. I'm not saying they're as talented or they're as good as Duke. Somebody that can match up with them athletically, and I'm talking with Zion Williamson back. That's that's your team right there. I mean, you just put Nas on Zion and let him go, like. Like if you don't think Najri can guard Zion, I got I got I got news for you. He can't. And yeah, he's getting, Zion's gonna get his, but yeah, in that situation, Najri can stay in front of Zion Williams. And Tremont Waters is as good as is as any guard in the country. I mean, he can get where he wants to on the floor. He shoots it well. They're dangerous in March. That really kind of shifted the tide in terms of how you're looking at the SEC basketball standings and who could win the regular season. That was a pretty seismic shift, given what Tennessee has left on its schedule. Oh, yeah. Tennessee has what, Auburn and Mississippi State and Ole Miss left on the schedule? Yeah, yeah. They're at, at Ole Miss, at Auburn. Mississippi State at home, Kentucky at home. I tell you, they lose two games there. You're not shocked at all. No, and LSU is now sitting in a three-way tie of first place with Kentucky and Tennessee. What do they have in common? LSU's beaten both of them. Yeah, and including a win at Rupp. Um, I think LSU's the best team. I mean, they beat them both, so you would say, yeah, they're the best team. But I actually think LSU is the best team uh, among those three. Like if you said, hey, you have to play this, one of those three in March, LSU's the team I don't. I agree. And people, I remember they came in, they came to Oxford, what, mid-early January, somewhere around right. then. It was the start of Ole Miss. It was right after Ole Miss had gotten to off to the 3-0 and start in league play. LSU comes in. Ole Miss was up, I think, two at halftime. LSU kind of took over the game in the second half. But we were saying on our on the radio show that LSU might be the most athletic team in the conference, and it's really not a might be anymore. I mean, that – that's proven to be obviously true. So it was an interesting weekend in SEC SEC basketball because now you're looking at South Carolina is probably not getting in the tournament, but Florida, I think, punched, punched their ticket this week. Yeah, yeah, they went over LSU. They beat Missouri. Uh, I think they're tied with Ole Miss, maybe a game behind Ole Miss, and they finish really, really easy. They go to Vandy. They get LSU at home. That's another chance for a uh, marquee win. Um, I think they maybe play Missouri again. I mean, they, they have a really soft finish to the schedule outside of LSU, which is going to get them to 11-7 and seven in the conference. And then if they do that, they're in. Switching gears, we will now go to baseball, which Ole Miss takes two of three at Tulane in New Orleans. Um to say it didn't come easy would probably be a bit of an understatement. Ole Miss really had to fight 
in each game for a while. I so I caught, I did not catch any of the Saturday game. I was working basketball. I, I tried to watch an inning or two before I went to the arena. I caught bits and pieces Sunday and bits and pieces Friday. So I'll I'll turn it over to you for the first part of this. Just what are your initial impressions? I'm guessing you watched more than I did. Uh, yeah, I think I might have watched every inning. Um, yeah, look, everyone's kind of hockey stressed out about the bullpen, and, and there's really an overreaction there because of what happened on Saturday. Look, Ole Miss's bullpen was very bad on Saturday. I, I, I won't deny that. The Ole Miss bullpen has a 3.6 ERA so far this season, over like 39 innings. They're fine. They, they have guys trying to find new roles. They have guys that uh, they're relying on for the first time in big situations. And Parker Crazy made a bad pitch on Saturday, and the wind was blowing out at 30 miles an hour, and it happened. Um, Ole Miss was two outs away from sweeping a two-lane team that I think is going to be in an NCAA regional in March. Uh, or not March, that'd be weird. In June. Um, so, yeah, look, Ole Miss played offensively. I thought Ole Miss was really good over the weekend. On the mound, they didn't get a lot from either of their starters. But I thought the bullpen on Friday and Sunday, they throw up scoreless outings. Um, and neither, I think Hoglin goes four innings, so they they throw up five scoreless innings on Sunday. Phillips goes 4.2, so they throw up 4.1 scoreless innings on Friday. I think there's a lot to be encouraged about with this team. I know, yeah, you don't want to lose on Saturday, and I get that, especially when you have the 12-11 uh, lead and Thomas Stillard has the day that he does. But it was, I think, uh, you're, you're never going to scoff at a road win, or uh, a road series win. So I thought Ole Miss play, I did well for themselves over the weekend. So, Referring to Thomas Dewar's day, he had two home runs, eight RBIs in the 13-12 to walk-off loss on Saturday. Um, so Saturday was interesting because the wind was blowing out so hard that you put a fly ball in the air and it's like going into a vortex. That thing is just kind of off, off and floating. But I, to your point, I, I, I agree because to me, looking at from what I saw and looking at the numbers, the rotation is much more concerning if you're an Ole Miss fan than the bullpen because there's a lot in the bullpen. I mean, Tyler Myers is the Juco kid, has been really good out of the pen. He's going to have a solid role the entire year. Could end up being one of their better relievers. You have Austin Miller. You have Max Chofey. Connor Green got picked up the win Sunday and and probably the most – I struggle – I I hesitated on calling it the kind of the – one of his, the most important outing of his career, because if you'll remember, he actually was a pretty prominent member of the pen yeah. as a freshman and then really hasn't pitched much the last two years in between. But point being, he hasn't been in a situation like that in a long time, pitches really well. I mean, you have Crazy who was throwing 92 to 94, so his velocity looked fine there on Friday, um, which is the main concern going in. Nikhazy, so to me, and I'll get to Nikhazy in a second because I have an interesting question. Nikhazy is good as a lefty out of the pen. So to me, there's enough in the pen. The rotation is really what would yeah. be the cause for concern if you're an Ole Miss fan because it hasn't been good at all. I mean, they've gotten – you had Etheridge's opening day start. That's the only day, start of the season I would call quote-unquote good, right? Well, Hogland went 4-1 and one yesterday. Um, he threw a lot of pitches and he gave up a lot of hits. So, yeah, you're, you're probably right. That's probably the only uh, – good start they've had this year but you know you're with you're without Etheridge this weekend and and that that does more than people realize like it knocks everyone down a peg when he doesn't throw um so you're having to rely on more and more guys but you know you're right you're right the, the rotation needs to be better um you know you don't get more than 4.2 innings from any, any starter this weekend that's not going to win games in the SEC if you're, you're relying uh, so heavily on the bullpen 
So, yes, you're right. The, the rotation is, is, if there's any cause for concern, that's it. However, you need to have Will Etheridge in there to be able to gauge this fully. I still believe in Gutter Hogland. He's thrown six college innings. I really think the kid's going to be really good. Um, he needs to but, learn how to pitch versus throw. He needs to yeah. learn how to pitch to guys because, one, the two main things with him is, one, his off-speed stuff wasn't locating very well Sunday, and, two, he just – like he he had that ridiculous streak in high school where we, I don't remember if he didn't walk anyone for the entire season or it was through most of the season, but he's using too much of the plate too often, and I don't think he's quite learned how to pitch to college hitters yet versus just kind of throw a fastball across and get away with it. Right, and that comes like like if you if you're good enough to be able to not walk somebody over your senior year of high school, you're good enough to be able to throw the ball in the outside corner instead of over the middle of the plate. Um, so I think it's going to come with experience. I think Ole Miss needs to keep running him out there and let him get that experience. But they got to find something on Saturday, man. Houston Ross deserves another outing. I thought he was, like we said with Phillips last week, I thought he was better than his numbers, but his numbers were so bad that doesn't mean he was good. Um, and I didn't think Zach Phillips was good again. Uh, I thought you know his numbers were better this week, but I still I don't know if he was as good as they portrayed. Uh, that kind of works both ways. So, yeah, Ole Miss is going to have to find somebody and uh, and, and implement them in the rotation. I think that's it's, where you're going with McKay. Yes, no, so that's a, that, that's an interesting juxtaposition for Mike Bianco because I think Nikhazy needs to start. He's a lefty. He has, what, other than, other than Caleb Hill, he might have the most electric stuff on the team. Yeah, yeah. So he's a lefty. He's a freshman. He seems to like. He seems whatever. I've only watched him pitch once, or I guess twice, because I caught it the other day, and then I caught it what he pitched Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever the midweek game was. Last week was a blur, but he seems to have an advanced command of everything. His stuff is electric. He's a lefty sandwiched in between, presumably two righties on the weekend. I think he needs to start, but I think Mike Bianco wants him out of the pen. I think Mike wants him out of the pen too. Um, but I think Ole Miss is going to be good enough in the pen where that's an option. Um, I think Tyler Myers has come on, and that's helped. Austin Miller, Connor Green have been really good. I, I still think Parker Gracie is one of the better closers in the country. Uh, Caleb Hill has been good for what they've asked him to do. I think Ole Miss has enough guys back there where you can make it make sense to get him into the rotation um, if that's what they want to do. I think Phillips and Ross get one more start each. Um, which, which they should get. Right, but I don't know how you do it because Etheridge is probably going to start on Friday. So what? how do you kind of manage that? Um, but, no, I'm with you. I think if, if anything else happens, I think Nikhazy's the next guy that you move into the rotation. And that's funny because uh, if he's in the rotation in a year that, I, again, I've said this is the most talented team since integration that Ole Miss has had, you would have two freshmen in the rotation, and they would probably deserve to be in the rotation. Because it's it's a matter of looking at both sides of it in terms of the bullpen and the rotation. And I was texting with with Chase about this last night, kind of outlining the the argument for him him Chase Parham that is for for him to start. And it's because you look at the bullpen and you still have Chofi, you yeah, have Parker Caracy at the back end, you have Austin Miller and Tyler Myers who have been really really good. I think in the for for his first couple of college outings, Caleb Hill has been good out of the bullpen. You still have Jordan Fowler. Like, there's more in the cupboard in the bullpen to where is aren't Nikhazy's services 
better valued in the rotation? That I mean, assuming he's effective. Yeah, I mean, if if or, I keep calling him, I keep calling him the wrong name. If Phillips and uh, and Ross can't, you know, if they struggle again, yeah, I'm I'm with you because what and you to, not, not to interrupt, but but to your point. I'm not sure how Phillips projects out of the pen, but Roth can pitch out of the bullpen. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah. People forget that if you replace those guys, they do go to the pen. Like, say, Houston uh, Roth has thrown big innings out of the bullpen before for Ole Miss. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. It'd be interesting It'd be interesting to see how Nikhazy's stuff plays out of the pen, too, because that's something you have to think about is he's not going to be able to come in and, and go max effort uh, as a starter like he does out of the bullpen. But, you know, I think what he does and that cutter – and the way he pitches would play as a starter as well. So, overall impressions of the weekend, Ole Miss gets it. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been a great look if they had dropped that Sunday game. They flirted with it for a second. But to me, the biggest takeaways were, one, the kids out of the bullpen threw pretty – I mean, there were a number of guys that threw really big innings, whether it's Connor Green. I thought Caleb Hill pit, pitched pretty well. Um, you know, I, I mean, the list can kind of go on and on there. The second biggest takeaway is the offense, and this wasn't necessarily a surprise, explosive enough to kind of turn a game quickly, and you saw that on a number of occasions this weekend. Yeah, they do so many different things well. Like, uh, they can run the ball out of the ballpark, but on Sunday you couldn't hit home runs. The wind's howling in. So much kind of took advantage of Tulane with some speed. Anthony Ferridio almost hits the inside-the-park home run. It technically wouldn't have been. It was a bunch of errors. But Ole Miss can beat you on the offensive end on so many different ways because of you know their ability to drive the ball in the ballpark. But they're also 13 of 15 in stolen bases this year. They have 13 stolen bases in six games. I mean, that, the way this offense is set up, is, is it's presenting itself as one of the best in the country. And uh, I think it's going to be a force going forward. So... Looking ahead, Ole Miss basketball, a big game as you mentioned with with Tennessee on Wednesday night. I, I, I think that's I think it's appropriate to call that a free shot because the game oh, yeah. you're really penciling in to try to lock up your tournament bid if you're Ole Miss is the game on the road at Arkansas on Saturday. So yeah. Ole Miss gets kind of a free shot with a really you're catching Tennessee as vulnerable as they're going to be at any point in the year. Yeah, but are they pissed off? Like, like are, are they refocused? Because if if Tennessee plays well, I don't know what Ole Miss can do on the defensive end. Like, who's guarding Admiral Schofield? I mean, they're going to zone. Oof. Jordan Bowen's going to go 8 of 9 from 3. Yeah. Monte Turner, I mean, is. So, looking ahead to Tennessee, what, it, it probably fair to call this a free shot for Ole Miss? I mean, that is what it is, because the one you're trying to – the realistic one to punch your ticket is Saturday at Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, or or at Missouri to end the year, but you don't want to have to go that route. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a free shot to be sure. Um, Tennessee's kind of reeling right now. They lost two of their last three. Now, granted, to the two other two best teams in the SEC. Um, so yeah, it's a free shot. It's a game that if you win, the tournament conversation is over, and we start discussing seed lines. But yeah, it's uh, it's a free shot to be sure. And then baseball. What Tennessee Martin Tuesday, and yeah. then of course Long Beach State this weekend, which would be an interesting series because I don't necessarily know what to make of Long Beach. But well, Long Beach is zero and seven, so I take it that they're horrible. Yeah, so that that that'll be I guess a chance to kind of figure out what you got in the rotation and at least test some different things yeah. without you know 
fear of the result as much. If not, yeah, they else. don't they don't hit at all. They're hitting like one sixty seven on the season. Got like a four twenty OPS. They're not good to play. So you got that, and then uh, who is like who do you think starts Tuesday with all? Fowler, I think Fowler starts Tuesday. That would make sense. I mean, you're going uh, into it thinking other option is Nikhazy. Yeah, but do you really want to throw the guy that's, that closed the game and pitched three times last week on Tuesday? That's true. And I guess like, I don't think he pitches at all on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, I guess there really is no other option other than Jordan Fowler. I mean, Greer Holston's not really to the point where that's... Boy, that's a sad story, isn't it? Yeah, I I don't know what's up there, but it, it's certainly something. So, obviously, that that's not really an option. I mean, yeah, I mean, what? there's not really much anywhere else you can go. I mean, I'm literally trying to think of any other option other than yeah, Fowler. Yeah, I mean, unless... I mean, maybe you throw... I mean, you can't really throw Roth, can you? Even if even if you no. think Etheridge is going to be back, that's not really an option. Well, the only thing I was thinking is maybe you start Etheridge and let him throw twenty or thirty pitches because he hasn't thrown in two weeks. So, uh, but that, I mean, outside of that and getting him a little work, I don't really know who else you would be able to throw besides Fowler. I guess we'll find out in a few hours. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we will. It'll certainly be interesting to follow. But so wrapping up a, a pretty big week for for. For both programs, a, a huge week for Ole Miss basketball, a week that they can punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. Um, if they don't, if you know you have an 0 and 2 week, then next week kind of, kind of, kind of gets dicey real quick. Um, yeah, with Kentucky coming in. Yeah, so certainly something they would they would like to finish off this week, and we will be back. Unless you have anything else, we'll be back with you on Wednesday to preview. Tennessee a little bit and then talk about who did start Tuesday night <laughs> and all those results. All right. All righty. Well, thank you for listening with us, and we'll be back with you on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.